This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. This week it's a relatively special episode because it's obviously Christmas Eve <laughs> uh, and we've made the effort, well Dave's made the effort I suppose because mm. Dave's the one who's off. Um, but you know, we've managed to get in the office. That's it, commitment to the cause, mate. Yeah, just about. I mean, yeah. it's I, I drove in there myself. It's uh, very busy to say the yeah, least hectic, in the city yeah. centre. Uh, but yeah, we're going to get into it anyway. The football doesn't stop, does it? No, it doesn't. So we're going to look back at Flamengo. Uh, we're going to look ahead to Leicester and we're going to look ahead to Wolves as well. Um, no idea how long this podcast is going to take this week. So we'll just we'll see how we go, I suppose. But the Flamengo game. Uh, what do you think? Thought on it. I think for me, we we called it fairly, fairly accurately. I think both teams definitely had a go. Yeah, as per usual, we seem to be getting a little bit stick about being negative. Um, but I, yeah, I thought it was a good kind of rundown of what to expect from them. And they were they were a difficult side, as you would expect. You know, the champions of that continent. Um, you can see why I think. Yeah, you can yeah, see totally, why. They, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, the um, the you know, I thought they were. A little bit more tactically astute than maybe people were thinking. Um, you know, obviously, they started with that 4 4 2, didn't they? But then it was often going into a 3 5 2, which saw a bit of an overload of Liverpool's middle three. Um, yeah, I just I thought they did quite well. Okay, they might have been offensively very threatening, but on the whole, it was a very competitive game, I thought. Yeah, same. I mean, 18 shots overall for Liverpool compared to 15 for Flamengo. And the the possession share was fairly even. I think I think Liverpool maybe had fifty three percent. Flamengo had a, around forty seven or so. So it was very much like you know, to an extent, you have a go, we have a go, I suppose. Mm. And usually, it turns out better for Liverpool in those matches. But this didn't seem to go that way. I think Liverpool missed a fair few chances. Um, but you know, Flamengo stuck with the whole high energy thing. One of the questions we posed last week was. Would they adapt to Liverpool and, and introduce a bit more pragmatism? Mm. Or would they play their own game? And for me, it was um the second option really. For me it was, you know, we, we play as we do. We yeah. we play we do we stick to what we know, sort of thing. But that's what I expected, you know, because a lot of sides that Liverpool face in Europe and when I say Europe, I mean inclusive of the Premier League, just in, in the, the general sides they'll face over the course of a season. A lot of them will adapt to try and nullify what they can in terms of Liverpool's strengths. But, you know, these are... Flamengo are a massive club in, from that side of the world. You know, they're huge. And I just couldn't imagine they'd be coming in and basically trying to, you know, play a, a, a for want of a better term, a minnows game. You know, I did expect yeah. them to impose themselves. And, um, you know, at the end, it was the, it was a battle of two champions, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think the fact that they had the support on the ground, I think, helped compared to the semi-final against Monterey. See, I couldn't, I couldn't hear it that well. Uh, I was in, the, I was in the pub watching. So, <laughs> uh, were they getting the, uh, the, the the bulk of the support? Were they? They had apparently over fifteen thousand fans there. Oh, did they? Yeah. And I think Liverpool had pff, at, at best a, a tenth of that. I think. Um, so you know, it's obviously a massive thing over in South America. Yeah. Um. And fair play to them, you know, coming over and and and, and doing that. But uh, I think it, 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 we we spoke earlier about the the semi final. Yeah. 
that maybe the, the lack of atmosphere in the ground contributed to a, a, a fairly flat match against Monterey. But I think against Flamengo, a bit more fans in the ground, things like that, it, it just it increased the intensity a little mm. bit, I thought. Mm. It did um, feel big, to be fair to it. Um, I didn't really know what to expect for the game, but it did feel like it was a former final. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird tournament because there's a perception for some reason in England that is different to virtually every other country. Mm. I think Real Madrid, certainly Barcelona, treat this tournament like it's a big deal. Mm. Every other t- team in the competition treats it like it's a massive mm. deal. Liverpool, for whatever reason, and other English teams, English pundits and things like that, feel for some reason to play it down a little bit. There seems to be a perception in England that if every team can't win it, it doesn't count then as a, as a, as a competition. But you got to understand why we're in, the, why we qualify. It's not a friendly. We mm. qualified purely because we've won the Champions League, which every every team can't do. Do you think a fact is that mid-season? <clears throat> do you think maybe if this was a summer summer competition, it might change it a little bit? Possibly, um, but it's only mid-season for for, for European teams. Yeah. It's the end of the season for for Flamengo. Mm. Uh, but it's a strange one why it's perceived. Like a charity shield, when mm. for me it's it's different level. It's certainly a serious competition. It's the type of competition that you would add to your honours list, sort mm. of thing. Um, but I think, you know, going back to the match, I think the first half was not particularly great. I think we started well in the first ten minutes. We were all over them in the first ten minutes, but beyond that, we struggled. They 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 kept the pressure in our half a large period, quite mm. impressively. But having said that. Liverpool have this way about them where, you know, we may be under the cosh per se, but if you actually look at the shots we're, we're facing, there's not, there's never really that much danger. No, for me, for me, it seems to be that there's, um, you know, there can be the, the perceived onslaught, but without necessarily any sort of end product, which is, is more a testament to Liverpool's defensive abilities than the problems in attacking the opposition. I think they seem to they never seem to hit the panic button. So yet they might not be able to retain possession or, you know, it, it might be wave after wave of attack for small moments of the game. But you you're not always necessarily thinking there's a goal coming here. Yeah. You? No, that's exactly yeah. it, yeah. And that what you've just mentioned there about you might struggle to keep possession for a little bit. Liverpool tend to have those phases mm. in matches where like for maybe twenty minutes the ball just won't stick yeah. or whatever, but during those periods, we never really seem to concede clear-cut chances or to be really... It, 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 it's different dominating territory, maybe, and the ball against Liverpool. But to, to, to translate that into actual shots, mm. to actually start out shooting Liverpool and hitting shots on target and things like that, that doesn't seem to happen. How do you think the structure, uh, structural foundations always seem to remain? in those moments for them yeah. from a defensive point of view, um, which is huge, you know, and they tend to ride out, as you said, ride out those moments very rarely conceding the goal. Yeah, just a little bit on that, a little bit more on that first half, you know, where Liverpool was supposedly the, the weakest side, the worst team. In that period, Flamengo had five shots, um, none of which hit the target, two of which... Um, were outside the box. Three were inside the box, but two of those were headers. So, you know, not that Diff- big of a deal yeah, facing headers. There, there was one chance where a ball got played inside Trent. <coughs> uh, 
Benjamin, no, it's Bruno. Is it Bruno Henry Case? Bruno or Benjamin, I'm not even sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I have to double check that. But he got inside sense anyway, and Joe Gomez ended up darting across amazing pace to, to actually clear the ball it for the corner. Bruno. Bruno. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Joe Gomez intercepted the, the shot before it actually came, really. I said that was the biggest that was the biggest danger for me that moment. But mm. beyond that, I didn't really feel too troubled. As I said, people are inclined to say that when you can't keep the ball and stuff like that, that you're under caution, you're struggling and things. But they do seem to just be phases for Liverpool. Yeah. It's not necessarily us playing badly or being the worst team. It's just a 20-minute period that we seem to have to experience before we then start pushing on to the next level. It's quite unreal, unrealistic, isn't it, to expect a side to dominate <clears throat> every single aspect of the pitch for every minute of every game. Yeah. I think you're playing you're playing the highest level football here. It's, it's, that's impossible to do. But it's important that in those moments where you can't dominate those areas of the pitch, you remain defensively solid and... As I said, Liverpool do. Liverpool do do that. Yeah, I mean, the, the team that, for me, takes charge of the most moments throughout the course of a match is Manchester City. Mm. But the difference is with them, they seem to cons- they seem to face, like, very sporadic, clear-cut chances, mm. like one-on-ones with Edison. Mm. Alisson very rarely faces a one-on-one. Mm. And if it is a one-on-one, the player will maybe have Van Dyke literally right next to him or, yeah. you know, someone pushing him or, or something like that. It's never clear cut, is it? Pressure, always pressure, yeah. Like Vardy, for example, scored against City on the weekend, didn't he? Mm. Those chances City seem to face quite regularly. Liverpool yeah. very rarely do. I, I'm, yeah, I totally agree. Like City, I, I'm not I'm not checking now, but I mean, I could pre- I'm pretty confident that if, you, if, you, if we looked, they'd be dominating still nearly every metric in the Premier League. Which probably, you know, a, a, with the exception of XG per shots against, yeah, XG. Well, yeah, we know which, that. Actually, which is, yeah, we know that that's not great for them, for the reasons you've just said. But um, yeah, this City is such a dominant side, and they dominate for most part. But as you've just said, there problem is they they can't seem to grind out in those moments that we've just been complimenting Liverpool on. You know, when they, they are potentially not seeing a lot of the ball or facing attacks, quite often they will lead to goals conceded. And that's that's why Liverpool remain undefeated in the in the division this season and City aren't. City are way off it. Yeah. I mean, you can almost live in moments against Manchester City. Mm. Wait for those moments that you know you'll get. Whereas yeah. against Liverpool, you don't really get moments, do you? You just get like openings maybe that you yeah, can try and use half chances yeah half yeah. chances and things like that um, but you know second half Liverpool improved certainly as I said we, we created plenty of chances that I, in behind I thought but we just we just didn't seem to take them hmm. um, I was looking at that you no know, the ball's over the line stuff yeah uh, I thought would exploit it more so I must say well, they say that they did but, a bit, but yeah, eighty-four long passes they attempted, and the season average across this is across all competitions is sixty-one. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, so there was maybe a, it just didn't come up on the ATS yeah. from more, didn't. Mm, but the um, yeah, I did that, I've, and I watched a few of them actually just to see how successful they were, and I found even when they weren't winning the first ball, which they don't always do, they just always seem to pick up the second, don't they? Just always seem to hone in on it and um, yeah, I mean sweep it up. We might as well address it now. The, the actual goal did come from a similar thing to that, I suppose. I mean, 
I think it will go down as wrong pass actually, even though it wasn't particularly aerial. Mm. But uh, Jordan Henderson threw ball to Sadio Mane. Obviously, Mane cuts inside and plays it to uh, Roberto Firmino. And Firmino eventually, having <laughs> taken about 4,000 touches, puts it in the back of the net. Um, and I just, you know, a quick word on Henderson because he seems to be talk of the week at the minute. Yeah. Certainly on Twitter. Mm. I do think he played really, really well yeah. on the day. Proper captain's performance. Um, just little little things that people in, are inclined to overlook, like constantly in the referee's ear and mm. things like that, that you just, do you know what I mean? Just get get him on side and things like that and yeah. put him under a bit of pressure to start making decisions a certain way. And no, I, I don't know. He was. I, I just think he, it was a proper captain's performance from Henderson setting up the goal. Well, I suppose Mane gets the assist, but... He sets up the goal really, doesn't he? Yeah. I um I I, I think Henderson's been fantastic for a while now. It's good to see him he's finally getting some credit for it. I, I actually thought I'm not taking anything away from him because it was a good ball, but I think if that ball gets played in the first twenty minutes, it probably gets cut out by that defender. I can't remember his name. Um but I was really impressed just to counter that by Firmino's run. Uh, if, if anyone's listening now or watching it on YouTube and they can watch the goal back, just I just love the way as the play's building, the ball's being played. Firmino was like basically on the halfway line. Yeah. And yeah. he's got a mid, like a defending player with him. And the pace and just, you know, the intensity to just get forward, it creates like a two on one, which obviously leads to the goal. But um, anyway, yeah, back to Henderson. Um, yeah, he's. What's, what's your fantastic. stance on him as as a player? How does he look from from an outsider? Because from a Liverpool perspective, right, I think what the issue is is there's a a group of fans that maybe don't appreciate him mm. as much as they should, mm. and there's a group of fans that maybe overplay what he does. I'd say, and when he has a good game like this, yeah. the overplaying fans really, really overplay him and describe him like he's in the Dean Zidane, and that results in the people that maybe don't like him coming out and having feeling the need to respond because people are exaggerating. Mm. So I think that's where it stems from. I think does it he's basically bang in the middle, really, I suppose, of those that underplay him and those that overplay him. Mm. Um but My opinion, f- for me, I do think he's a bit under underrated, I think, I mm. Jordan Henderson. I think Henderson's an excellent all rounder. And now I think he can play different positions in the midfield and do a solid job in each. I think he's a fantastic passer of the ball. Um, I think he's a really good leader and captain. And you'd have to be to be captain in this side when you've got players like uh, Van Dyke there as well, who you know got their own captain credentials. I don't know if I'd necessarily put Henderson in the elite bracket, but I think he's got a lot of the um, psychological components to his game. Yeah, definitely. That take him that next level for me compared to maybe similar players with his his skill set. Yeah, um, and that's why I I rate him so much, and I think he's good for this Liverpool side. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of players out there, isn't he, in Europe that have made a career largely because of their mental fortitude mm. o- over their actual technical ability. Yeah, Jamie Carragher comes to mind, and that's mm. no slate on Jamie Carragher's no, ability. Not, no. Um, but he's just you know an absolute mentally driven character. You know, I'm thinking of maybe few other players from th- throughout Europe. Again, this is not a slate on his technical ability, but maybe Gattuso over at AC Milan, another player who was just really driven. Mm. Um, and I think these players, they just act as an engine room, don't they? They, they, they just uh, 
a, a bit of backbone when when certain situations are going badly. And if you look throughout the Premier League, so many clubs lack a backbone. Mm. Um, and I think so many clubs, so many managers in particular, it would kill for a Jordan Henderson mm. in the centre of the park for them. Yeah, it, not not necessarily for his football and ability, although that would come into it, mm. but just for you know the presence that he that that he has and, and the the contribution, as you say, on the mental side of the game. Mm. Like people questioned when James Miller was given a new deal recently. F- from my perspective, providing he was okay with the reduced playing time, mm. I would say to Miller, you can literally stay as long as you want yeah. because yeah. you ca- you really can't underestimate the concept of a dressing room. You you really can't. No, well, I, we've said on other shows, haven't we, that um, I've said since working in football, my appreciation for the psychological aspect of the game is bigger than ever. Like, I just... I'm, and it just feels so important to me now. Um, and I think in Henderson's case, Henderson is a great player. You know, he's a, he's a good footballer. But I think he he fits so well in an elite side because of those psychological aspects of his game. You know, if he didn't, if he didn't have them, he'd, he'd probably still be a top four player. But to be playing at the, the, the now-crowned best team in, in world football or the... Is it world champions? World champions, yeah. yeah. To be the captain of that side, you've got to have something a little bit more, um, and he's got it. Yeah, I mean, just I think I think Klopp recently st- said, like you know, on the day of the Barcelona comeback, mm. uh, the four nil, straight from the off at the very start of the day, I think he said, like you know, James Milner came in and he, and he was like, he was pushing his teammates, pushing his players, winding them up, and that as if to say, like you know getting them riled up very, very early mm. so that when it comes to the match, they were kind of like ready to go sort of thing. And it really does sound simple, but there's plenty of players out there that just, they, they either wouldn't think to do it or they wouldn't feel comfortable doing yeah, it. And yeah. If you've got, it's just that spine, isn't it? And it does yeah. sound very age-old pundit to start making these comments, like a bit of a Roy Keane comment or a Graham Sooners comment, but they, they certainly still apply. No, they, they do. do. Of course they do, you know. And, and, and I think that those those pundits are almost those pundits now, as in, you know, you've got you've almost got tactical pundits, you've got mentality pundits, almost you've got managerial pundits, or so, and it, it goalkeeping pundits, and I think there's different types now. Where do we fall? Somewhere <laughs> in between. <laughs> wannabes. <laughs> yeah, wannabes. Yeah, maybe uh, without the goalkeeping aspect, though. I'm not sure either. of us good comments on that. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we'll see where we go though. <laughs> Still at the start, at the very start of the train, I think. Start the track, yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh, one final comment on the the Club World Cup, um, and this is a comment I hate making. I hate it when when, when man- managers and fans make these comments, but the referee was awful. Yeah, he had a stinker. Oh, he was terrible. Yeah. Honestly, one of the worst referees I've seen. I don't know what his what his standard is. I don't know if he's professional or what. Um, I mean, you'd like to hope so, but I don't know where he, I don't know his country of origin where he's... He's Qatar. Qatar, Qatar yeah. yeah. But uh, just the performance on the day was really bad. And I, I, as I said, I genuinely, I generally don't dis- don't agree with, you know, when when a manager loses a game, for example, and after the match, he, rather than looking at the performance and what, what he could have got right and things like that, he's inclined to blame the referee for not doing him a favour. Yeah, because I don't a split second thing that happened over the course of a 19 Exactly, game, yeah. And yeah. I, I never ever agree with it. It's never a good sign. 
Joe was a manager looking to hide, I think. Mm. But I just thought this referee this had to be mentioned because he was really bad. Yeah, I think... Uh, For both teams, I'd say. Yeah, well. I was about to say that, yeah. it was There was no bias to either side. It was just poor across the board. And also, the first decision you can let go by, the second one... Yeah, okay. Third one, that's if you, you think, and he must have four or five there. It was just a bad, bad performance. And uh, I don't think he'll be getting the game that big ever again. Yeah. Just really quickly, what did, did what did you think of the whole penalty incident? Did you think it was a pen? Um, or, or a foul? I mean, it weren't even giving us a foul in the end. Yeah, I, I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was it was outside the box, wasn't it, though, when the actual contact bit me? That that was debatable, and we were told initially that that was why he went over to the monitors to determine where it was. But in the end, he actually decided that it wasn't even a foul. Yeah, I, d- I, don't, I don't agree with that, because VAR is not really there. Is VAR there to overturn free kicks? So if he's saying it's not a penalty, free kick, and then he's overturning the free kick. I'm not sure on that, to be honest. My opinion was, anyway, I, I thought it was it should have just been a free kick for Liverpool outside the box. Yeah, okay. But right, I definitely... What do you think? Um, I wasn't sure on that one, but I was certain it was a foul. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think when you slow down those incidents, it can look like those still shots, it can look like there's no contact mm. when he is. Yeah. It's, I hate, hate that sort of thing. It shouldn't be at that speed, should it? No, not really, no. Mm. It, you shouldn't really slow it down to that extent in, in, in moments like that. I think I think there'll be some change with VAR over the next few years, to be honest. Yeah, hopefully. And that'll be one of them. Hopefully. Uh, but world champions anyway. Yeah. So we will move on to the Boxing Day fixture. Two upcoming City fixtures, actually. Uh, Leicester, we'll go on to first. Um, we analysed them earlier in the season. I think this is the first team that we're facing now that we've already addressed earlier in the campaign. It is, yeah. At the halfway points. Yeah. But actually, Leicester... I think I've progressed onto a bit of a different, bit of a different. Well, yeah, I think they, I think they have. I think earlier in the season we were a bit, little bit skeptical. Certainly the numbers were a little bit, little bit dodgy. But when did I, when when was the game? It was October, wasn't it? October, yeah. Mm, it was but, still early, wasn't it? Yeah, but I I do think that they that they have convinced me to an to an extent now. They have to, they have with me. I really I, I do think they're a really good side, and it's all come together for them. I'm still not convinced. Which sounds ludicrous because I know the second on the table. I'm still not convinced they're going to be title challengers. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I've, I've never really been sold on a, the whole title challengers mm. thing. It's just more a case of actual good side. Uh, yeah, a yeah. couple of weeks ago, I was like, I felt the need to post a few of the results alongside the XG results mm. on my Twitter, just as a means of saying, listen, this is not going to tail off. This mm. is not. This is no flash in the pan sort of thing. This, yeah. These are deserving, evidently getting up until that point, which we'll address because it's yeah. obviously tailed off a little bit mm. um, but you know they, they seem to have found the feet um, they yet to lose at home which is an interesting one mm. uh, but the last time we faced them <sighs> arguably Liverpool's best performance at least with the exception of finishing of the season I mean you had you had the content yeah, you had, you had, you had, you had yeah I remember this view, yeah. but I just I just remember us absolutely battering them yeah, and the XG on the day, and maybe yeah. look, maybe I got it wrong because um, I mean I'm not changing my viewpoint. I'll be honest, but I will accept that you'd said that um, a couple of mates that I met up with after the game said something similar to that, albeit just fans on the street. But for me, Leicester just always felt in the game, and I think that's when I was raising the discussion about how XG maybe tells a story in terms of um, chances, but it just it didn't feel like it was 
dominance throughout all all over the pitch for me. It felt like they were always in the game, and obviously they got an equaliser late in the second half. But that's probably another discussion. Yeah, I mean, according to expected goals, it, it probably should have been a three nil. That's why I'm inclined to look at, at the side that I'm looking at. Um, two point eight xG for Liverpool and zero point two xG for Leicester. Eighteen shots for Liverpool, two for Leicester. Their first shot of the game was scored, I think, by James Madison. Um, and I, I, I agree that they had a degree of territory during the game. You're not giving me a fighting chance with those numbers. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I agree that they had a degree of territory during the game. Um, and we, we didn't pen the team in, in the final third like we usually see. Mm. But they just, I think they just found it difficult on the day to translate their possession to actual shots, mm. which... Those tend to happen against Liverpool, to be fair. It's it's almost what we were talking about at the, yeah. at the top of the show. Yeah, it is. Um, but one thing I will say, I think this is really, really important. I think when I say that Leicester have found a feat and they look like a much better side now, I think they've really, really changed and really kicked on since winning 9-0. Mm. I think... I, I have a theory that when a manager comes in with all these idealistical... Ide- Idealistical, is that a word? Yeah, I think it is, isn't uh, it? Beliefs in that. Uh, or ideologies. To yeah, really out, philosophical, yeah. we'll go for it. Mm. Philosophical approach. Yeah. Like a Pep Guardiola and a Brendan Rodgers and things like mm. that. I think players almost need um, the, the confirmation that this is the right way to go, this is going to actually work, sort of thing. And I remember when City really went for the league and really steamrolled everybody that really seemed to kick on after they beat us 5-0 mm. at the Etihad yeah. um, we obviously had a man sent off but it just seemed to give them newfound belief I thought mm. and he pushed on them from that to a new level mm. and I think Leicester although again a man was sent off for you to play your own game and win 9-0 in any game yeah. it just it just seemed to kick them on to a new level and if you if you look at their results since it, it it does catch you that. It's funny, you know. I I, I agree. Um, more so, just with the the psychological aspect again, which seems to be the, the buzzword in this podcast. But that's not on purpose. But not just the nine 0 I think the start. They've had moments where they've won. Um, not say I wouldn't say won ugly, <coughs> but they've the the example I can think of is you know last minute winners when they won against Everton when the, it was a hard one-all draw and it looked like it was destined to finish that. Um, they pop up with a last-minute winner. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. I'm just showing Dave the XG there. Yeah, so they have to distract the tone of my voice. I'm just <laughs> reading up on it now. But just be, let me continue with this point before okay, we yeah, that. Um, obviously, and then Everton as well, ironically, in the cup game, you know, 2-0 up cruising, ends up drawing 2 all but still find a way to progress on penalties. You, you start just having this aura a little bit about you of being unbeatable, whether yeah. they'll still feel like that after the City game, which we'll come on to. But I think that's why they're doing so well. They've just got this, similar to what we've seen at Liverpool, you know, no matter what, they'll find a way. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, Leicester have had that a little bit over the past few months. Yeah, I mean, the, re- the reason I mentioned the Southampton game is because since the Southampton game, Leicester were every single match winning the XG by at least double the opponents. 
um, which suggests that, you know, if you remove bad luck, if you remove refereeing decisions, the actual performances between both boxes on the day, Leicester's has been basically twice as good than each opponent. That was the case against Palace, then against Arsenal, then against Brighton, then against Everton, then against Watford, and then against Villa. And Villa's to such an extent that I felt the need to post these results. You can check my Twitter if you want to see these. But they expected goals against Villa away from home as well, which we found are quite tricky, mm. away from home against Villa. Yeah, uh, Leicester posted 4.7 XG and Villa posted 0.9. So that's basically... I mean, you won 4-1 on the day, which is fairly accurate. Basically a 4 or 5-1 win based on your performance. <clears throat> and I just thought that was really impressive. Yeah, because as you've just touched on, tough places to go. <clears throat> um, yeah. You it, know. Ju- it just got to a point where I thought, hang on, this is this is fully deserved. And mm-hmm. it seemed to stem from the 9-0. It's, they seemed to just get on board the train and just keep going <laughs> sort of thing. Rogers did it with us a couple of years ago, 2013-14. He's, he is capable, fair play to him, of, of getting that momentum and really pushing on with it. Having said that, we have to we have to address that recently. They do seem to have hit a little bit of a little bit of a snag. Running out of steam, mate. Poss- well, I don't know what you've labelled what they've been doing as steam, or because or, for me, as I said, it's been deserved. I just mean maybe in the sense that they've been, everything's just been going so perfectly for them, um, and they have been kind of dominating in such a manner. So, yeah. you, know, some days, you know, sometimes that just doesn't that just doesn't happen. Norwich was a perfect example. You expected them to to really blow Norwich away, struggling near the foot of the table, and obviously it didn't quite work out like that. In fact, did they lose the XG in that game against Norwich? Yeah, they did. I'm, I'm just going to get that up now. But in Leicester's most recent two matches, obviously against uh, Manchester City and Norwich, so <clears throat> Leicester's XG against Norwich was 1.4. Norwich's was 1.8. So for that one, you're looking about possibly a 1-1, maybe a 2-1 to Norwich. And then the City More game... More vulnerable to the um, elements, though, aren't you? Is it like the, the most yeah, yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's reliance on chance, yeah. I suppose, in that match, with the with the performances being so equal. Mm. And then against Manchester City, Leicester posted 0.9 and City posted 3.3. So, I mean, I watched that game. City were... Uh, Really impressive. I thought they mm. firmly established themselves as listen, we're the we're at least the second best team in this league. Mm. Um unless struggle to deal with it. So it remains to be seen how they'll cope against Liverpool because you certainly are on the verge of well, I don't know, not not receiving criticism, but they, I think they need to show a response now. That's you know what? You literally took the words, haven't we? It's a response, isn't it? <coughs> you know, if they went and got beat again. I think they could potentially tail off a little bit. I still think they're nailed on for Champions League places. Um, but yeah, they, they'll be thinking we, we, we need to send a message by trying to win this game. Yeah. I mean, overall, overall, based on the season so far, they're still averaging about 14 shots and facing about 9 slash 10. So this is a degree of dominance there. Hmm. They're out shooting opponents on average by at least four. Um which is which is decent to dominating the ball most most occasions. So they have still got that in their favour in terms of like they're not wholly reliant on the elements of chance like mm. like Arsenal maybe are and like I don't know everybody else. Well, most <laughs> of, most most of the teams, yeah, yeah, except Liverpool and City, I suppose, <laughs> and Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, so they're, they're clearly a decent team. And I have, I have thought that maybe they will switch formations for this one because four one four one has been their go to system this season. But they've used the diamond against teams that they used the diamond against Norwich hmm. and against Villa. And the reason behind that was because both of those teams had fullbacks that are inclined to dart mm. forwards. So Rogers wanted Vardy and Ian Nacho to split and play behind those fullbacks. Mm. Obviously Liverpool are renowned for having Alexander Arnold and, and Robertson. So what what just any any thoughts on that? It, see, I, I I feel like I've I've seen if, even Flamengo doing it at times and trying to go two v two with Liverpool's centre backs, but um, I don't. It just doesn't. Liverpool don't seem to be get dominated <laughs> when it happens. You know, it never seems to be that successful. Um, it's it's it stems from the centre backs, though, doesn't it? I yeah, mean, if, yeah. you go, if you go on one on one with Van Dijk, I can't think of anyone who would no, come out on top. Possibly not. Lionel Messi, but yeah. not to the extent that he'd be Van Dijk wholly because yeah. Van Dijk would probably recover anyway because of his speed. I'm inclined to think, although I, I understand what you're saying, I'm inclined to think that he'll he'll go 4-1-4-1, four, one, four, one, you know, and, just, yeah, and maybe. just hope that Vardy gets one of those chances he got like against City because I, I guess we're going to come to Vardy in a minute, but he's just so clinical, isn't he, that he probably thinks make make it make ourselves difficult to play through or get past and try and create something for Vardy and the there's a good chance he might convert it. Yeah. I just have a thought that maybe he'll go with the diamond system. Just just quickly, we're along, Lester. Um, what do you think of Inacho since he's kind of turned this corner? Did you like him originally? I did, yeah, but he, he, he was a weird player, wasn't he? Mm. He was he was he almost fitted into that mould of he's a sub. Mm. He's he's that sub. Like mm. a uh Chicharito type oh, yeah, player yeah, and yeah. maybe a Divagrigi type mm. player who is is just a bench impact player, um, but he did post good numbers. He was certainly worth the twenty million pound yeah, punt. I think it was like that, yeah. Which obviously Leicester. a couple of seasons ago as well, wasn't it? So yeah, I think he's still quite young. I think he's mm. know, at, at most twenty five. So and just another good buy from Leicester. I, I think he's he's another striker option that Rogers clearly values. Yeah. And whenever he's came on the pitch for Leicester, he's looked really hungry, clearly willing to work and things mm. like that. So I think he was a good sign. I think more more clubs should have spotted that. I think to be honest. I think yeah. I think a few of the kind of um, not the top tier Premier League clubs, but the next ones down were interested. Obviously Leicester got them. I think I think Everton were interested actually in one other. Um, so yeah, he, he, I was I just, just going to say actually Everton should have been interested. I think they were, they but um, I don't know if Leicester got in there first. Um, but just interesting to see him kind of. It feels like it's been a breakout month for them. Um, and now, obviously, we're talking about potentially starting them in a two against Liverpool. So it just shows his impact and, you know, if he could kind of be a, a factor in the game. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. It'll be interesting to see what Rodgers goes for. Mm. But uh, just knowing a bit of background of what he's like and things like that. and maybe where you can get at Liverpool, mm. just maybe split strikers whereby Vardy drifts behind Trent sort of thing, maybe, you know, you think something he, like that. Do you think he might, he might change the back line a little bit in this game? Rodgers? Yeah. No, 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 uh, Klopp. Maybe not play one of the wing-backs. Well, he's kind of, he, I suppose he's got it because we've only got two centre-backs at the minute. 
But could he not put someone like uh, Milner? Milner, yeah. I think that yeah, I think it'd be mad. I I wouldn't go for that personally. I can see the thinking in terms of just going a bit more defensive. In Don't that get me sense. wrong. Once again, I'm, I'm I'm just conscious of people always saying negative. I'm not saying trying to go <laughs> reserved against Leicester, Liverpool are by far the superior team. I'm just I'm just cur- curious, you know, to see if, if we've obviously picked up on it. You know, Klopp's going to be aware of it. Yeah, but if he does go four one four one, like you think, Leicester's wingers aren't that dangerous. Andy, no, you've got know, Harvey Barnes and you've got Ayoji Perez. So And he might, might sometimes put um, Madison out there as well. He obviously drifts inside a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so if, if he goes for a diamond, maybe it'd be... And it's causing us problems. Maybe it'd be an option further into the match. So maybe, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's an option, like, I suppose. Mm. But, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Vardy there. I think for me, he's... I've talked about this a few times. I think for me, he's the the most efficient maybe not player but the, the most efficient striker in the Premier League yeah. w- without doubt 100% agree um, did a little, re- little bit of research on this regarding the numbers so 109 strikers in Europe's top 5 leagues have amassed over a 1000 minutes so far this season um, that's 109 Vardy is 108 for passes per 90 so obviously never sees the ball in comparison mm. to most strikers, he's 58th for shots per 90. So obviously he's not inclined to take a great deal of shots mm. compared to the av- to, compared to the elite player. He's just bang average in that regard. But he's fifth for the percentage of his shots that he's got on target. And he's first for conver- conversion rate as well. Mm. Um, I think 60, 61% of his shots, I think, find the target. Yeah, just short of 62 it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 37%, I think, of his shots results in the other team taking a kick-off. Yeah. Which <laughs> so is, it's quite impressive, isn't it? Oh, he's crazy, yeah. You know, he, um, <coughs> you've touched on it there, but it's, it works out around <coughs> 2.3 shots per game, which for a striker isn't a lot. You'll know off the top of your head what Salah posting is, about four or something. About 3.7, yeah. 3.7, so just sure. He, he, he doesn't shoot frequently, uh, doesn't shoot frequently, sorry, but they're such a high quality. Um, what was and, that, 2.3 was that? Yeah, 2.3, yeah. Um, but he's obviously, he's mainly there to, to finish Leicester's good work behind him, isn't he? Because... Yeah, yeah, he's only got four assists, but yet seventeen goals. So he's there purely to to finish attacks. Yeah. See, I I think this season he's going to comfortably score over twenty goals. And yeah, if he if he if he's he, got three to go, oh, is he? Yeah, he's on seventeen now. Well, if he's taken two point three shots per match and he plays all thirty eight matches, mm. he's on track for about a total of about eighty seven shots. So if you score, I don't know, twenty five thirty goals off eighty seven shots, that's Clinical. clinical that's like a poacher yeah that's that's exactly what you want I remember Rogers when he, he he said when he first got the job he said to Jamie Vardy I'm glad you're here a little bit David Brent <laughs> no not Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> but I can I can completely get where he's coming from because if you've got that player in your team you can just put the ball on the back of the net and do your favours yeah how long do you think he can do this for though because he's 32 isn't he and he doesn't seem to have lost a yard. No, he, as I would say, he's a pace. He's a pace merchant, isn't he? Like that's his, that's a lot of his game is built on his pace. But he he just doesn't seem to be. Is he just maybe more? Do you think he's just more efficient all round in his game? 
well, maybe picking and choosing when to make his runs and things. Uh, yeah, I think there's several things on this. I think a he's obviously cut himself off from England duty, mm. so he gets he gets free breaks there. B, I think he's. I, I think I'm correct in saying he's he's got one of those f- freezing cryogenic chamber things in his house. Oh, which yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo's got and Frank Ribery's had in the past. Mm. Apparently it helps with recovery and all that yeah. stuff. Um, he's playing one match a week, obviously. And Rogers has made changes in regard to, you know, Jamie Vardy used to just press the entire back line on his own, yeah. like a headless chicken sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Rogers has been inclined to say, listen, don't be doing that. <laughs> press as a team. If, <coughs> if the pressing opportunity is none, keep your position mm. and wait for the trap. So I think he's he has made his game more efficient as he's got older, and yeah. I think it's made loads of sense. And he's he's also said himself that in the past he's been inclined to drift off and ask for the ball, sort of thing. And Rogers has said, "Listen, stay away from the ball. Yeah, stay on the last line. Offer a threat in behind. Again, just super Don't efficient. Exit the uh, attacking third, basically. Um, yeah, he's he's just being used really, really well. Mm. I think. Yeah, no, he's I'm really impressed with him. Um, he, I think. You know, I know everybody does um, think highly of him, but I think he remembered as being quite underrated in the Premier League, you know, because I think he's one of he is, the yeah, best. Yeah, he is. Really, really top player. And, yeah. In fact, I'm sure Klopp actually said he's one of the best strikers since he's been in the country. Yeah, well, I, I've had... He, he has been a, a bit of a... In a Klopp mould, I think, mm. since Klopp will have surely admired him as a player, mm. the type of player he is, very, very fast, really yeah. aggressive, clinical and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, just one more point on Leicester before we, we move on. Uh, Liverpool obviously scored in the first meeting as a result of Leicester's high pressing. Mm. Leicester are currently the highest pressers in the league according to pass, passes per defensive action. And that obviously results in their defensive line pushing high to to stay compact. Mm. We, we we presented the problem to them last time out at Anfield by putting Firmino... I think on the left or as a number 10 or so. And I think Mane and Salah led the line. Yeah. Took turns leading the line. And if a ball goes in behind, you've got Mane and Salah mm. in a race against Johnny Evans and Soyuncu with excessive space in behind. And we obviously ended up scoring from it. So it'd be interesting to see if we do the same thing again, just to present a problem of, okay, if you're going to press us highly, you've got that threat in behind. Are you mm. going to drop off or are you going to keep take the risk or what. Yeah. Again, that whole thing presents two tactical problems at once to the opposing team. Really good at doing it. Yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah. I'm not sure if they will do it again. Um, but I do like the idea of, <clears throat> as you said, just just keeping them guessing, you know, a little bit of putting putting them on the back foot from the outset, you know, when, this is, when you've prepared all week for the size and how they're going to, uh, play and then they p- just play a little bit different to that and suddenly you're on the back foot aren't you L- a little bit with your tactics um, I don't know whether it'll be replicated because they might be more prepared for that sort of change but it'll be interesting yeah um, I think I think we if we do do that sort of thing I think we'll build down our left as we did for the goal because that's the side that Johnny Evans is on and I think if you can get Johnny Evans in a race, not that he's a bad defender, no, no, but if you can get him in a race with Mane or Sally, he's going to lose it. I think you want to, yeah, you want to avoid Suyun Su because because I actually think Suyun Su is very quick. He is quicker than the yeah. thought. Last time I played it down a little bit, but yeah, no, he, he is quick. I give me. In fact, he's he's been a really good defender. 
Yeah, he has. A really, really good defender. Um, and most people listening or watching will probably be aware of him, but if not, keep an eye on him because... Do you, do you think to the extent that you'd avoid him? If, if, if you're playing against uh, Evans and Suunsu, yeah, I'd be looking to go down the other side. Yeah. Um, same way the way we talk about some teams will avoid Van Dijk. Yeah. I think I would avoid him. He's He's got a high ceiling. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so before we move on, verdict. Um, <clears throat> tough one to call, isn't it? Very tough, yeah. I, I just, I, I've said before, and it's not uh, um, a criticism of Liverpool, but just because of how tiring their diary is, I, I expect points to be dropped at some point. If if this was to finish a draw, although Liverpool good enough to win it, if it was to finish a draw, given the context of where they've been over the past week, the time of year it is, the amount of games they're playing. I think that'll be a decent result. Um, yeah. So, I'm probably actually going to go with a one all here, you know. Just, I am also desperately trying to avoid being Mark Lawrence and uh, <laughs> tipping, tipping Liverpool to win every week. But, yeah. I'm going to go one-one conservative. I'm finding it tricky with this one. I I absolutely think it's entirely possible for this to finish as a draw. Mm. And if it does, that won't be the end of the world at all. That'll be a fair result. Obviously, we said Leicester are yet to lose a home. Mm. But for some reason, I don't know if, it's, if I'm being influenced by the first game. I feel as, I'm, I, I feel as though 3-1. Maybe put it in there. It's a Liverpool podcast. We need some... Uh... <laughs> go on, I'm going to go 3-1 yeah. Liverpool. Just because I don't, I, I don't think we're... I think we're a nightmare for Leicester. Mm. I do. And if they'd have still been rolling, then... I'd have maybe opted for the draw, mm-hmm. but the fact they'll have taken a slight hit recently with two matches. Self-doubt starts creeping in, I think. It, yeah, a, a little, little bit. bit, especially considering a bit of a lack of majority in the team. Mm-hmm. So I am going to go 3-1 Liverpool, but weirdly, as I said, I do think a draw is entirely plausible. Yeah, that'd be some result there, 3-1 away at Leicester. I yeah. mean, there's not much you can say about Liverpool anymore like that you haven't already said, but that would be a really standout result. And yeah. entirely possible, as well, you yeah. said. So Wolves... Mm. Um, another tough game well funnily enough we said uh, Leicester had a, t- a tough match Liverpool have obviously unbeaten at mm. the minute Liverpool have lost zero but beyond that the second best team has lost three matches do you know who that is? Um, well it's, just, it's Leicester. Leicester yeah Leicester and yeah, yeah. Wolves. Yeah, well, so I did have a little bit of a rant on Twitter about Wolves not so long ago, so I'm, I was a little bit aware of their records. Yeah, um, so beyond Liverpool, the two other teams that are technically the trickiest to beat, mm. we face back-to-back, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, bit of an underrated side, I think. I think, they're, I think they're great. Really, really, really good. No, I think it happened with Wolves, right? At the start of the season, didn't win, did they, for like five or six games? And when you're trying to take stock of how everyone's doing... And you were like, oh, Wolves, Europa League issues, they're, they're not going to be able to replicate last season. You, um, I think you switch off a little bit to them and they've gone under every, everybody's radar. Yeah, they have, yeah. They're just really good at what they do. They're just impeccably well-drilled. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the jobs. You can see clear patterns of play and that sort of thing. And Just a, a difficult side to beat, as I said. Um, having said that, although they're similar to Leicester in regards to being City to beat... They are a different team, aren't they? Dif- completely different style of play, different yeah. challenge. Yeah, they, they, uh, they, they obviously, although they've got a certain, they can be threatening an attack, they're not 
anywhere near Leicester are they in terms of um, scoring goals or just that th- that threat that they pose and yet they um, they very much defend first get that right and then look to um, suck teams into them hit them on the counter but yeah. they don't really adjust that tactic no matter who they're playing do they? No um, I think it's interesting that they you, you perceive them as a modern team don't you and, and that sort of thing really modern and that but they don't press at all no. last time I checked at least I'm not sure what the PPDA is now where they are for presses, but I think last season when I checked, I think there was something like, I don't know, 19th or something for, for pressing in the Premier League. I think the morning clients are soak pressure, keep the shape, block off passing lanes, mm. and go from there, basically. Wait straight for, sides a little bit as well. Yeah, I think they wait for you to make a mistake and then counter you. And I think they're, they're, they're one of the best in the league in transition, I think. Yeah, I've just, just on that PPDA... 13.27, so basically got the the third most relaxed press in the division. So the two teams that are that are less inclined to press more than Wolves are Bournemouth? No, Sheffield United, which oh, okay. isn't that surprising if you actually think about yeah. it. The, the similarities between the two and then our favourite, Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Um, the deep block. Yeah, <laughs> the super deep block. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so... To the extent that you're in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... Um, but yeah, going back onto Wolves, the are. I think how they maybe don't get that um, tag that, you, that you'd expect, um, say if there's a British manager involved, was they've got some really good attacking players, but they're also very good in the defensive aspects of the game. Um, so the... They defend well and then they tend to explode into these counter-attacks. And yeah, it's and weird though, isn't it? Because we'd probably label Newcastle as defensive. But I wouldn't particularly labeled, label Wolves as a defensive team, even though the the overall game plan isn't that dissimilar in terms of soaking pressure and then countering. I just wonder, is it because we know though, from because we write about them a lot, don't we? We watch them. We know that it's, whilst there is a defence-first mentality, as I said, it's also an attack employee, isn't it? And something they're good at. So I just wonder, for example, Newcastle, you don't look at Newcastle and go, are they really set up to be like a, a super counter-attacking unit here? You're like, they're just to defend and then try and take any moments that they do get to push up the pitch. But with, but with Wolves, there's always this kind of awareness of we can attack them, but we need to be concerned about the threat that they pose when, when possession's lost. Yeah. So maybe 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 that's why we, we we're a little bit softer on them in that regard. Yeah, I mean, very much what you know what you get. I suppose in terms of formations, mm. four uh, three four three is their formation this season, um, and the reason it's it's adjusted up top is because Adama Traore has moved into the fray. Seems to be a, a regular starter now. Uh, obviously, a massive <laughs> massive threat. Um, and I, I think he's one of the most unique tactical players in Europe. Mm. I think if you're a manager, he's a dream to yeah. just use as like a, you know, from the from the chess perspective <laughs> where like you're very strategic and yeah. you just use use players based on what they've got. Traore is so useful, I think, mm. it, from a managerial perspective. Yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, I've, I'm a, I'm a little bit besotted by him this year, just in terms of his more so just listen. Well, he can do a lot of things. It's just his dribbling ability. Then it's just mad, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he's 
It, it's <laughs> against Manchester City early in the season, mm. he's, he's surely got to be the only player in the Premier League this season to play right wing back and centre forward. Yeah, surely. Yeah, and he played them both in the same game, mm. and I think that he scored that, two goals in that game. Yeah, yeah, he scored scored the pair of them. Yeah, I was having a little bit of luck at his. Um, I don't know if you got have you seen his dribbling numbers this year? I have got his numbers. Yeah, have you? Yeah, let's go and see them now. Yeah, David, go on, go on. So. There's 898 players this season in Europe's top five leagues to have played over a thousand minutes. Um, Adama Traore is top for dribbles attempted per 90. Um, And his success rate, so the amount of times those dribbles come off, is also better than the top 30. Mm. That's including like... Wilfred Zaha, Raheem Sterling's in there, Jaden Sancho's in there. So he's he's averaging the most attempts and he's completing more of them as well than they have than the than the top dribblers out there. Um just can we just stop from there? 70% success rate yeah. in in dribbles. Like I don't think people are grasping just how big that is. Like you may see that in a central midfielder who attempts less than one dribble a game. But for someone who's doing, is it? Am I right saying it's close to fourteen per he's game? He's attempting thirteen point five per ninety. So yeah, so nearly fourteen per ninety, and he has a seventy percent success rate. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like like almost unstoppable. It is. It's mad. He's a mad player. Um, and another another little aspect that he shows up in well for as well. Um, progressive runs, mm. which is obviously doesn't involve taking on a player but does involve carrying the ball up the field mm. uh, with the ball at your feet again 898 players and Traore is second for progressive runs per 90 do you want to get have a guess who's first um, probably won't mind you I, I think is it someone like um, Grealish or someone this is Europe's top five leagues oh Europe Grealish, Grealish does show up well for this uh, for this statistic like yeah but Oh, go on. Uh, Lionel Messi. Oh, I thought it was going to be a bit of a, a surprise. <laughs> no, I was quite surprised to be honest. I, I thought he'd... Uh, I didn't realise Messi carried the ball to that extent. Yeah, but maybe people don't extent. want to try and tackle him anymore, so... Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. But a uh, really insistent player, and if Liverpool are inclined to dominate proceedings, he's obviously a massive threat on the break. He can just... He can beat anyone, really, yeah, apart from Van Dijk, I suppose. But that would, it would be interesting, though, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, he plays on the right... Van Dijk obviously plays on the left. Uh, he did try to beat Van Dijk at Molyneux last season. It went down in Liverpool history on uh, YouTube. You'll find plenty of YouTube videos on it. Uh, Van Dijk kept pace with him. Mm. Cleared the ball and all that stuff. Um, he seems a bit better this year though, doesn't he? Like, it seems like that'll be a really good duel. Yeah, season. it will be. It'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. He's also only 23 for the people who aren't aware of him. Like, he, he could have a really big future. Yeah, he needed a lot of training, I think, but he, he seems to have reached a, a capable level now. Yeah. Uh, but one other thing on Wolf that I want to mention is, similar to Liverpool, I think he seems to do clever little things from set pieces. Mm. I'm not sure if you've picked up on it. No. It's, it's, not, it's not been shown on only since, since, uh, day that much, it, like that. Yeah, only since I got this message off you about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do. They, uh, they've scored a fair few headers, I think. Mm. They scored against Norwich on the weekend. Mm. Um having slightly adjusted a delivery angle mm. and I got headed in by Roman Sice and they're doing something with Troyore as well whereby 
if the ball is in a position on the inside right, for example, where Trent would usually cross the mm. ball, if they have a free kick there, they'll position Traore high and wide mm. and then make a pass like slightly to the side of the wall, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And Traore, because he's so quick, he can dart towards that ball from behind being offside, if you get what I mean. Yeah, and he'll yeah. catch it and then he'll play a, a cup cup pass ball mm. and it, it it's very really interesting to see him do it because you've got to be a very fast player to be able to excuse it I've just described it terribly there <laughs> but I'd like to pull clips but I can't because yeah. it won't let me anymore but it's it's interesting to see what oh, they're doing yeah. so maybe that's something to watch well that's it if, if, you know if they get if they, if they can try and convert any of those chances they'll be huge for them won't they because they may, probably won't create a lot through open play um, I must say it I do, I do love set piece routines as we talked about on the show a few times, um, but I haven't, I haven't really been keeping an eye on Wolves. That they haven't been on my radar in that regard, so I'll be keeping an eye out for that over over the course of the game. Yeah, but they themselves are also vulnerable, I think, from certainly crosses and possibly set pieces as well. I'm not, I'm not particularly sure, but I think Liverpool may maybe. You know, possibly having an, have an opening regarding the set piece in this match. Mm. Usually, when that's a possibility, we like to flag it. Yeah, and I think this is maybe one of those opportunities. I think their their most dominant centre back aerially by far is Willie Bowley, and I think he's out. And I think beyond that, they've got players that are fairly built, but they've got no real, you know, tank. dominant yeah. defender. Yeah. No real like Van Dijk in there, or even a massive. They, it's probably Cody, isn't it? Yeah, but even Cody, he was. Used to be a centre mid. Yeah, I think he's about five <laughs> ten or something like that. Yeah, he, was, he, played, he used to play a bit of attacking midfield, didn't he? Yeah, he played as an eight mm. for Sheffield United once, I think. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely some. Van, Van Dijk scored last season against them at, at Molyneux from the second phase of a of a corner kick, I think. Ah, the second phase, mate. <laughs> yeah. The beautiful second phase. And one more thing I want to flag is. Uh, Neil Neil Moore Pay scored for Brighton against Wolves recently. Not the week gone, I think the week before. Mm. From one of those, just a straight ball over the top. Mm. You know that we flagged against Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. This was another one of them. Moore Pay just one pass over the top, and Moore Pay scored. So maybe a little Jordan Henderson, I or maybe a Van Dijk Van as well. Dijk, yeah, you yeah. know, you never know. But just that ball over the top, I think, is on again for Liverpool. Mm. Uh, just one final word on one of their key players. A couple of years ago, I got, I got asked. Well, not a couple of years ago, probably inside the last twelve months or so. But I got I got asked about, you know, players that are capable of replacing or similar to Roberto Firmino, and I think, I think Val Jimenez is, it could do a lot of it. You know, I think he's a he's fancy really... football superstar, mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is. Yeah, returns every week. Yeah, yeah, no, he is. And, and I, I mean, joking aside, he he really could be. To be honest, Josh, he's he's a. He's a good player. He's a very good player, and Wolves did did well to to, to, to sign him. He's um, he's never below seven out of ten, is he? No, never. And you know, and you find if he doesn't score, he, he assists. In fact, I'm just looking at his last. Was it one, two, three, four, five? In his last five games, he scored one goal. Yeah, well, I've but, got numbers on that as well. In his last eleven games, he's only failed to contribute a goal or an assist in two. Yeah. That so he's doing something in virtually every game. That's what just was about to say. I was like, you might look at his record and think one goal in five games, but out of three of the other four games, he got assists. So 
he's he's always contributing somehow. Yeah, just that whole like linking up with the players around you mm. with your first touch. Mm. Like I've mentioned about Firmino plenty yeah. of times. Firmino doesn't need to take a touch and then look around. He's already able to link with his first touch. Yeah. That sort of thing, Jimenez is really good at. Obviously, he's going to be a threat on the break and that sort of thing. Um, but I think it'll be an interesting game. I think definitely a tough week. I'd, 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 I'm not sure if I'd go as far as saying I'd be surprised if we win both. But no, I, I, yeah. I'd, I'd, no, I wouldn't be surprised, but... This is definitely a tough week. This these teams don't get beat often. Does <laughs> yeah? Does little Liverpool could do it in a winning sense? That would surprise me. Now I think they could basically yeah, beat anyone, um, no matter how tough it is. But I'm with you. It equally wouldn't surprise me if we saw a point to return of maybe four over these two games. Yeah, which I couldn't really argue against. No, you know what I mean, I think you. I for me, Liverpool have done a lot of good work up until this point in terms of points return. So they've now given themselves a cushion. cushion for the rest of the season to potentially have those off days and not suddenly open the panic station, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we'll see how we go, but verdict, what do you think with this one? I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll still back them to win this one, actually. Um, I think, yeah, it might be dependent on what happens against Leicester. We very rarely do this, do we, where we... Kind of preview two Premier League <laughs> yeah, yeah. games, but I'm gonna I'm gonna back Liverpool to win that one and two nil. I'm gonna go two one on that one. Um, do think it'll be tricky, but with it being an Anfield in particular, I think I fancy us to just to get over the line. It is an Anfield, I, did, isn't it? No, it is. Yeah, did I say it was an away game? I'm not. I'm not sure. Talking rubbish. <laughs> Probably everyone knows that by now. Listening to the pod. <laughs> no, yeah, the, I think yeah that Anfield will be a will be a, a deciding factor potentially as well if it is a tough game. Yeah, so we will uh, we will round up there. So enjoy the Christmas period. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Dave. Merry Christmas, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and to uh, everyone listening as well, of course. Yeah, um, and we will be back after Wolves at some point to look ahead to the, the you know, the new, the new year fixtures. Mm. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. Have a good Christmas and see you later. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.